Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. So Paul is uh, writing the book of Romans, but he's not in Rome. He's in Corinth. Um, The Jews are are taken on the chin, particularly Claudius is the emperor, and he's very disturbed because a lot of Jews are getting converted. Uh, They're becoming followers of of the the crucified Jesus, and uh, it's very, it's upsetting uh, to the Roman authorities, and, um, and a great persecution breaks out against the Jews, um, Claudius has a stepson, his name is Nero, not a nice guy. And uh, Nero particularly hates Christians. A fire breaks out in Rome, destroys a large section of the city. Uh, Nero blames the Christians. Nero was known to cover Christians with pitch and uh, impale them on poles and light them on fire to, to light the pathways of his gardens in the evening. Just a lovely man. Um, so, uh, hatred of, uh, of the Jews, you know, in, in 70 AD. So this is about 57 AD, Paul writes this letter. Um, in 70 AD, um, the, the Jerusalem, the Jews in Jerusalem in particular, rebel against Rome. They're tired of Roman rule over them, and Rome moves in. If you've seen pictures in the Ukraine of Mariupol and, and what happens if, a, if a, a populated place is just leveled to the ground, that was Jerusalem. It is said by historians that uh, as many as a million Jews were killed. Now, a million people killed today is staggering. Imagine in the ancient world where the population of the earth was far, far um, smaller. It's a holocaust of unbelievable. Um, and so it's into, I tell you that because it's into that environment, Paul writes the words that we're about to read, which is pretty phenomenal. Remember, Christianity is illegal for the first 350 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Every person who writes in the New Testament was arrested, beaten, exiled, or murdered for being a Christian. That's the context out of which our faith comes. You got it? It's completely unlike what it is to be a Christian in our country. Um, So, ready? Stand up now. And uh, if you're able and willing, and I'm going to read from Romans chapter 13, and uh, we're going to learn from God's word this morning. So Paul writes to the Roman believers, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now think about that. These are the people trying to kill them. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good." But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, 
but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are, what does it say? Ministers of God, the IRS. A minister of God. For authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Lord Jesus Christ, your word often um, smacks us. Um, And so it is um, this morning. Lord, we are grand gripers about government. We can have one of the best governments in the world, and yet um, we rarely thank you for it. Lord, we want to be... we want to be a pleasant aroma in a rotting culture. Um, um, so help us. Come by the Holy Spirit. Soften our hearts. Teach us. Make us more like Jesus, we pray. Amen. Be seated, please. So we know we live in a highly polarized time. Mask mandates, right? Inflation, gas prices, grocery Prices, house, housing costs skyrocketing, um, soaring crime, particularly in major cities. Uh, hardly a day passes in which human sexuality is not on the front page of the paper in some facet or another, right? Uh, a big, much made of a, um, a trans swimmer, uh, a male uh, trans to a female winning a female 500 meter race in the NCAA championship. We live in highly polarized time and if you think there's a lot of heat, uh, I might remind you that the challenge to Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion in our country, has already been decided by the Supreme Court and will be announced in July of this summer. So it, the streets might be hotter still. Now listen to what I'm about to say. There is a lot of energy and passion around this core conviction. Here it is. There's a lot of passion about this conviction. That better government could solve these problems. That um, better government is what we need the most. If we can just get the right people in office and the right people in power, then it would be a game changer. So therefore, politics is regarded as the most important thing in our culture. Do you hear what I said? There's a lot of energy and a lot of passion right now around the conviction that government is the problem, better government could solve the problems, just getting the right people in power, man, things would get better. Um, and politics then is regarded as the most important um, thing. And why wouldn't it be the most important thing if we have to take back our country, right? I turned on, I heard the news the other day, somebody came on right after the news and they said, this November we're going to take back our country. And, uh, or, if you don't think that's a big enough thing to, to quest to join, what about save the world from climate change? We're all going to die if we don't get serious um, so, um, interestingly enough, when Jesus fed 
the 5,000, his popularity soared. And he became aware of something, that there was a movement among the people to come and make him king, right? Perceiving they were about to come and take him by force and make him the king, Jesus got out of there, right? Um, Establishing, Jesus made it clear that he came to be about the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of his nation, right? But about the kingdom of God. And that the kingdom of God would bring, uh, the kingdom of God is that which would make things better and ultimately as they were meant to be. He came to establish uh, the rule and reign of the kingdom of God which would be advanced by the church, not by the state. Isn't that interesting? It would be the church that would be the, the core um, uh, people in the world that would be salt and, uh, and light in the world. So here's the question really in this polarized moment is will the church be distinct? Christians spend a lot of their time saying, I wonder if we can get our government to shape up. I wonder if we can get our government leaders. I wonder if we can get our culture to change. But the real question is, will the church be distinct? Um, As Martin Luther King Jr. asked um, in the 1960s, um, the question is, will the church be a thermometer or a thermostat? Um, He looked throughout the South filled with churches and he said, they are thermometers. They merely reflect the values of the culture. The church does. That's what a thermometer does. It just tells you what the temperature is, right? It doesn't change the temperature. It just tells you what it is. It just reflects the temperature. Uh, He says the church isn't to be thermometers. They're to be the the thermostat. The thermostat changes the, um, uh, the temperature. It affects the climate, right? That's what the church is to be in this moment. And I'm afraid we're failing um, the moment. What we um, desperately need is to put government and the political in its proper place. Here's the question. Will we be as ugly, will the church be as ugly as our culture? In other words, will we reflect the same um, temperature of our culture? Or will we be beautiful? Or will we be the very hope that our culture needs? Will we be the love and grace and truth that our culture so desperately is thirsty for? Tim Keller likes to ask, you know, um, or or, or posit the idea that we would live, the the people of Jesus would live so uh, beautifully and compellingly in their neighborhoods and and in their um, communities that if suddenly we were all to disappear, the non-Christians that were left would weep because they would recognize that they'd lost something good and wholesome and whole and necessary. Wouldn't that be awesome? Sometimes I think that if the church disappeared in North America, people would cheer. Can we live, if we are just another agent of division in our culture, then how are we making our culture any healthier? To be beautiful, compelling, not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drums, but through deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. You got it? So let's talk about what uh, the apostle Paul, what God through his apostle says to us about our relationship to government. And let's put government back in its right place in our hearts 
and mind. So first of all, let's talk. Are you ready? Ready to go? Ready to go? Excited about this? Okay. Yeah, by the way, the idea of covering me with tar and lighting me on fire after the sermon is one I reject wholeheartedly. Um, so with your sermon outline, let's talk about the authority of the state. Who created the state? Where's the idea of the state? Where's the idea of government come from? What is the source of the, the state and its authority? What does Romans uh, 13.1 say? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Those who exist have been what? Instituted by God. I love Jesus before Pilate. You know, um, there he is. He's arrested. He's soon to be executed. Um, he, the, the Jews can't, uh, um, um, the Jews don't have the right of the capital punishment. Uh, only Rome uh, can execute. So Jesus is brought by the Jews who want him dead um, to Pilate. He's the Roman authority. And Jesus is totally silent in front of Pilate. Very frustrating to Pontius Pilate. And this is what Pilate says. You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Listen to Jesus' answer. He hasn't said anything. And he says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. In other words, you fool yourself. You fool yourself, little man. <laughs> um, you think you're a powerful Roman potentate, um, but you have no authority except my father give you that authority. Got it? So there it is. That's where the authority of um, government springs from. That's why um, we, read in the, uh, we read in the Confession of Faith, God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his glory and the public good. God is the sovereign. The state's authority is derived from God and it's delegated to it by God. This is revolutionary because in the ancient world, the Caesars declared themselves to be what? Divine, right? Uh, to be God. Any leader in any position of authority, the, a king, a president, a mayor, a pastor, a parent, is only in that position due to the providence of God. What does Daniel say? Daniel says that God raises up kings and he takes them down. What does it say in Romans chapter 9? Even Pharaoh God raised up uh, Pharaoh, even pagan leaders. They only have authority because God raises them up. So to rebel against government authority or to be disrespectful of those rightly in authority over you is to disrespect who? It's to disrespect God. It's not just about the way you act towards government, your attitude towards government. It's your attitude towards God. So king, the, the soon-to-be King David... Um, is being pursued by the current king. Current kings don't like the person who's soon to be king <laughs> for obvious reasons. And um, so Saul is trying to kill David. But David um, finds Saul asleep in a cave. And he makes his way stealthily into the cave and he's right there and he could take the life of Saul, his tormentor, um, but he doesn't. He cuts off a piece of his garment so he can prove uh, that he was there. Um, and later, his, uh, his mighty men say, what were you thinking? God delivered him right into your hands. Why didn't you take action? You're crazy. You missed this chance. And you know what David's response? Who am I to raise a hand against, he didn't say against Saul, he said against the Lord's anointed. God 
made Saul the king. I am not going to take action against what God has done. You know, you guys sort of understand this uh, principle, right? That authority um, isn't really vested always in a particular person. It really is, is, is granted to them to act on behalf of the one who gives them that authority. Uh, parents, uh, do you remember when you would leave for a night out and leave your kids with a babysitter? And if they were of a certain age, you would threaten your children, right? And you would say something like this. Um, if you disobey the babysitter, when I come home, if I find out that you are a hellion, right, um, then you will have hell to pay, right? Um, because if you disobey them, you are what? You are disobeying me, right? So there we have it. Now, that's why the Bible says there's no authority except from God and be subject to the governing authorities, but are we to submit, um, uh, are we to be subject to the government? Is that an absolute command in everything? Well, the answer is no. We are to submit to government up to the point that obedience to the state would entail, um, we are to submit up to the point that obedience to the state would entail disobedience to God. We must disobey if the state commands what God forbids, right? Or if the state forbids what God commands. In either case, our, our higher allegiance is to God's authority. So you're in the military and uh, you're instructed that as a military doctor, you're required to perform abortions. So the state is requiring that. Um, you might even be uh, held criminally liable if you don't uh, follow a, an order in the military. But what does God say? No, you will not, you must not follow that command. The same as if uh, in the military, if you're commanded to um, kill non-combatants, then you would say, no, um, I will not follow an unlawful um, command, right? Um, suppose, you know, um, government forbids gathered worship. So government could man what, command what God forbids, but government could also forbid what God commands, right? And if government um, forbid gathered worship, then God's people are going to gather and worship whatever the consequences, right? So government's authority is not absolute, and the Bible is filled with examples. Uh, why do we have Moses? Because Hebrew midwives don't do what they're told, right, uh, by the Pharaoh. They don't kill uh, the Hebrew boys like they were instructed to. They disobey uh, the government uh, authority. What about Daniel? Daniel ends up in a lion's den. Why? Because everyone's instructed to pray to Darius and Daniel um, continues to pray to God. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go, right? <laughs> um, as my father would tell the story when I was a child. Um, how about them? Well, you know, they said, uh, we will not uh, bow to the idol, Right? Um, and we'll ask God to deliver us. But if not, you know, we will not bend um, the knee. The Bible's filled. Well, what about the apostles themselves? They're arrested for preaching Jesus. They're beaten for preaching Jesus. They're threatened for preaching Jesus. And what do they say? We must obey God rather than men. We're not going to stop. We're not going to do um, what you say. What about Christians who uh, hid um, Jews throughout Europe? What about the... Uh, Corey Ten Boom and her family in the Netherlands. Uh, and, you know, we know certain people who did this, right? 
and they're lauded by us. But think of the hundreds and hundreds, perhaps thousands, who we don't even know their names, right? Who, um, who, who faithfully disobeyed governing authorities. Um, you know, Corey Ten Boom's father was an old, old man. And when the, um, someone turned them in because they were sheltering Jews from the Nazis in the Netherlands, and you, you know, you weren't just sheltering Jews from Nazis, you're often sheltering Jews from collaborators in your own country who were, um, um, who were, <clears throat> who were currying favor with the Nazis. And, um, and so when they, they, they said to his father, he's like in his 80s, you know, um, we don't, he was a respected man in their town. We don't want to um, arrest you. We don't want to take you away. We don't want to punish you. Listen, the Germans weren't stupid. They knew that they could uh, get the, the entire community up in arms against them if they were to pick on this venerated um, elder in their community. And um, <clears throat> Corey Ten Boom's, they said, all you have to do is sell, you won't do it anymore. You won't hide any more Jews. And uh, her father said, as soon as you leave, whoever knocks on my door, if they need shelter from harm, our house is open to them, whoever that is, because I am a Christian. They hauled him off. He didn't live one more week of his life. Um, this is God's people, right? Um, I love the story of Martin Niemöller. <clears throat> German pastor who resisted um, uh, Hitler, spoke out against the Nazi regime and uh, was imprisoned. And um, another pastor came and visited him and said, you don't have to be here. Just, just renounce what you did. Apologize for what you did. They'll let you go. They don't want you here. You don't have to be here. What are you doing here? And for that, Niemöller looked at the other pastor and said, the question isn't what am I doing here? The question is, why aren't you here? Why aren't you resisting? Why have you caved in? Why are you um, protecting yourself? Why have you failed your mission as a herald of Jesus Christ? You got it? Um, so government authority is not absolute. Now let me mention one thing about authority. We're not gonna respect the government until we learn to respect authority. And we know that in our day there's an erosion of respect for authority, for the police, for the courts, for teachers, for parents, for elders, dare I say even for pastors. Um, this responsibility falls on parents. If children are not taught early to respect your authority, they will struggle to respect any authority, right? Moms and dads, this is vital. This is what God gives you to do. And listen, it is a hard thing. It's a hard thing to teach your children to do this. Um, it's particularly hard when you don't respect authority yourself. It's pretty hard to teach somebody else what you don't um, practice. Um, and, and parenting is hard. Um, I, I saw somebody tweet this weekend. They said, uh, whenever I get message of somebody's getting engaged, my heart always swells and I feel great happiness for them. And then I think, oh no, the next five years of their life are going to be hell. <laughs> Um, because they're going to get married and they're going to find out how hard it is uh, to be married and to do life with another person and have to say you're sorry and compromise and struggle through. Um, and, uh, and you can say the same thing when somebody says we're pregnant. You know, I'm so happy for you. Uh, you're never going to sleep for the next seven years, you know. Um, and get welcome, you know, get, get, get used to the stomach flu and write and... Um, 
So here it is, this battle to, to, to teach um, uh, respect for authority. It falls in, what does the, what the uh, wisdom literature of the Bible tell us? Spare the rod, you hate your child. The one who loves him is diligent to discipline him, right? And in uh, Proverbs 22, folly bound up in the heart of a child. A child is a fool. We're naturally fools. They're not innocent little things. Folly is bound up in their heart, and it's up to you to dislodge that folly from their heart. So when we teach our kids to say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, we're not trying to raise them like they're from Birmingham, Alabama. We're just teaching them how to respect authority. Manners, right? You know, honor, you know, when, when, you're, when your mom makes dinner, you say thank you to your mom. You don't sit over there and gag, you know. And, um, and, and even as a husband, you're gagging, but you swallow that food, you know. Um, <laughs> So you teach your children to thank their mother, respect their mother um, if they don't, and, and consequently also teach children to respect their uh, father, right, if you're a mom. Um, don't call an adult by their first name. Listen, we grew up, and some of us grew up when you get smacked in the face if you, uh, um, because you're just teaching them to respect authority. Um, it, we, we kind of chuckle when they're, um, when they're, when they're um, little rascals, right? And, uh, and they're, uh, what, what's the word, precocious. Um, but ultimately, uh, we gotta dig in and, uh, and teach them um, respect. Um, if they're gonna respect government or God, it starts um, with respecting their mom and their dad. It's job number one. You know, I'm glad that uh, um, I grew up in a home where my dad taught me you know, this, I, um, I, um, uh, was a high school graduation speaker, uh, when I was graduating from high school, I had to speak at my graduation. My dad was the chairman of the school board. And so the night before graduation, um, we're sitting around the dinner table, big family, all of us sitting around big round dinner table. And my dad said, uh, so what, you know, what's your subject? tomorrow night and I looked at him and I said revolt <laughs> and this is all he did every furniture everything on the table bounced up and down all the silverware everything else he didn't say a word that's all he did and I looked back at him and I said I don't think you heard me I said respect Um, I'm glad I grew up in a house where I learned that crossing my father was just stupid. Because my father wanted to teach me something more true, that crossing God is the ultimate stupid. All right? Second point then, there's where the estate gets authority from. It comes from God. It's about obedience to God, ultimately, what about the ministry of the state? What's the purpose of the state? State, the, the purpose of government is limited. This is an important principle. Government's not around to do everything, to run everything, to tell everyone what to do. It has a limited purpose, but a very important purpose. So the state's purpose is limited by the directive of God. And what are we told? Rulers, uh, the, the purpose of government is to restrain evil and to punish the evildoer and to protect the innocent and to promote um, the good. 
Rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but bad, Romans 13 says. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what's good and you will receive approval, for he is God's servant for your good. It's very simple. Government is to be a bulwark against evil, to protect citizens from um, evil, to restrain the ruin of our fallen world. Government bears the sword. We don't, get the, we don't have the right to bear the sword against one another. Government uh, stands to protect us from menace and harm and assault and, uh, and theft. Um, anybody who posits that man is basically good doesn't understand the role of government. We are fallen. We are a mess. Um, and, uh, and we need government because of the evil and the fallenness of our world. Um, the government is to hold people accountable to behave in such a way that we can live and work together, right? Why is our government invested in a little country called Ukraine at the moment? Why are they spending billions and billions of our dollars uh, towards that end? Because our government is saying, along with other governments of this world, this is not the way the civilized world functions. There is evil in this world. And unless that evil is countered, then evil will spread and prevail, right? Both parties uh, in our nation recognize the folly of defund the police. The police aren't perfect, but the principle of having police is perfect. Um, and they need to be well-paid, well-trained, well-supported, uh, and meet the highest of standards. Um, there it is. It's the purpose of government. So a couple of years ago, I read a book just called Grant. Grant by Ron Chernow, same uh, author who wrote the book Hamilton, uh, that became the play Hamilton. Um, Ron Chernow is an amazing author, and uh, it's a story of U.S. Grant, Ulysses S. Grant. Not only did he lead uh, the Union Army um, to victory in the Civil War, but then he's twice elected president of the United States. The saddest part of the book is the post-war experience of his presidential leadership because he does everything in his power, having um, gone through the South, having won the victory of the South, having liberated the, um, uh, the slaves, the African-American population of the South, um, he had to keep um, the troops there in order to protect them. And yet after about 10 years after the war, um, our nation grows tired. Uh, they grow tired of having the military in the South. The South is certainly tired of it, but the North is tired of it too. They want, their, uh, they want the men back home. They want the boys back home. They don't want to spend money on this anymore. They want to put the war behind them. They want to go on. And so the army is recalled from the South and and it sets off 90 years of the brutalization, um, the, um, the apartheid of, uh, of the black population of the South in our country. And when you read this book, you can't help but weep page after page of what was visited on our um, fellow citizens. The government failed its mandate to protect the innocent. Got it? So government is limited by um, what God gives it to do. It's also um, limited by its sphere of authority. Now, this is really important. You've got to listen to this. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Okay? Not everything is Caesar's. Render unto God what is God's. The state authority does not extend over the church. Understand that? A lot of people don't get that. They think the state's over everything. No, state authority does not extend over the church. You know, there's, 
there's sort of four options in, in, in the relationship of the church to the state. You know, the first is that the state controls the church. The state is over the church. Um, that was true of Germany and Japan in um, World War II. The state co-opted the church, right? The church became an organ of the state, state propaganda. That's what China desires to be in our world today. The second option is not the state over the church, but the church is over the state. We call that Iran, right? The mullahs are, uh, are, are in charge of the government. The third is the state favors the church and the church capitulates. So the state chooses one church, that becomes the state church. The state taxes the people, funds the church, but this church is required to parry the party line, just to, to be the mouthpiece of the state. We call that the Russian Orthodox um, Church, the Orthodox Church in Russia. So here we think is a far more biblical ideal is that the church and state recognize that each have a distinctive sphere of authority, just like the home is a distinctive sphere of authority. The home is sacred. Um, the state may not uh, interfere, right, unless there's bodily harm or crime or those sort of things, uh, neglect. Um, so the church um, is a separate sphere of authority. Do you realize that? The state does not tell our church what to do. The state cannot shut us down. The state has no authority um, here. The church of Jesus Christ pays no taxes. It flies no flag. Um, its tithes are exempt from taxation. Um, the government has no say in what we teach, right? We don't clear what we teach in our school, in our church, in anything to our children um, the government of the United States, the state of Florida, Citrus County, has no authority over Seven Rivers Church. So what has been the church's role as it relates to the state? One of the ways the church has served the state is to be the conscience of the state when the state abuses its power. You got it? The church has the right to speak to the state when it abuses its power. The state doesn't usually appreciate that. Um, so think of John the Baptist speaking to who? Herod. And what did Herod do? He took his brother's wife as his own, committed a gross sin. Um, and so John the Baptist says to King Herod, you should not have your brother's wife. And Herod's response was to cut off John the Baptist's head. Okay? The state um, speaks um, to the church as the conscience, the, the church speaks to the state as the conscience of the state. In 1985, South Africa was in the throes of its apartheid regime. P.W. Botha was the president of South Africa and uh, Nelson Mandela was still in prison uh, as he was for 27 years. Um, um, and uh, a man named Michael Cassidy was advocating for the betterment of the, of the black Africans there and their freedom and, and the end of this um, evil uh, separation, discrimination. And he secured an appointment with the president of the entire country, this Christian, Michael Cassidy. And he thought, this is amazing that President Botha would let me into his office and give me an appointment. The president of the whole country. Maybe his heart is warming um, to, to change. When... Um, 
Cassidy walked in the president's office. The president of South Africa was reading Romans chapter 13 out loud. He's sitting there reading as the man walks in. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. The president's heart wasn't softened a bit. He looked at Cassidy and he said, Are you a Christian? You claim to be a Christian. Then I tell you, submit. And Cassidy looked at him. Reverend Cassidy looked at him and said, President Botha, you claim to be a Christian. The state derives its authority from God. God has a word for you, sir. Repent. That's the courage that God gives believers in our world. Can I say just one last word about this? Um, to those who serve in government, in the military, our first responders, what a high and holy calling you have to stand between evil and uh, you are, what does the Bible call it? 13 verse 6? What does the Bible call them? Ministers. And ministers of God. Um, I used to tell every pastor's class this story, but a friend of mine went to interview for a job in California. They put him up with a family in the church. It was an older couple. And this family had this proud tradition in history. Everybody in this family were um, pastors. Granddad were pastors. Great-granddad were pastors. Went down through the family tree. Every son became a pastor uh, or a missionary. Every girl married a pastor or a missionary or became a church worker of some kind. Everybody, all the way through, all the way. It was their culture. It was their tradition. And I must say, it was their righteousness. They were very proud of, uh, of, of their family's lineage and line, and they seemed to like to tell everybody about it. And uh, they're telling my friend that that all continued right down to their youngest son. They had three sons, and their youngest said, I'm not doing it. I'm going to become a policeman. And they were so ashamed. And they felt like such failures. And they pressured him, and they tried to talk him out of it, and they... Tried to let him know this was not the way their family, and he, he pursued it anyway. And then they told my friend with tears in their eyes, they said uh, recently their son, the policeman, got called to a scene where a young, um, a young teenager, you know, 11, 12 years old, had stepped off the, the side of a sidewalk, was distracted into the path of a moving truck and been struck, and her injuries were fatal. And he was the first one to respond before the ambulance. And it was very obvious that she would not survive the injuries. And um, they told my friend that their son gathered up that little girl into his arms and prayed with her as she died in his arms. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think the parents of that little girl are glad that young man didn't become a minister and he became a policeman. You think they're glad? No, what they're really glad about is he did become a minister by becoming a policeman, right? Ministers of God. That's what they're called. So last point, what is our responsibility 
My, do I have to go fast. Um, what should we render unto Caesar? What is our obligation to the state? Um, honor the emperor, the Bible says. Isn't that fascinating? Honor the emperor, it says in 1 Timothy chapter um, 2. Pray for, or, or 1 Peter 2. Pray for, um, pray for them. You know, um, in our last presidential election, after the election, I prayed for the president-elect as I have every president-elect that our country's elected since I've been a pastor. And somebody got up out of the service, blew out of here, and uh, told them at the desk they've been so, they just moved here, they've been so looking forward to coming to this church, but they'll never be here again because they don't go to a church where they pray for baby killers. Let's see those verses. First Peter chapter 2. Next verse, the next one. First of all, I urge supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all are in. He says, honor the emperor, pray for the king. He doesn't say pray for only Christian kings, right? Pray for only Christian leaders. This is the very thing the church is to do. Imagine a church that says, we're only praying for Christians. Um... Obey the state in all legitimate areas of their authority. Obey the speed limit. Pay taxes honestly and gladly. Vote in elections. Support the civic good. Speak well of those in authority over you. Be grateful. Be grateful. I wonder how often people at the driver's license office encounter grateful people. <laughs> Thank you for this four and a half hour wait. It really cleansed my mind. Um, we have clean water, we have roads, we have traffic lights, we have airports, we have, we have the TSA. Do you know there was some guy got on a plane and tried to light his underwear bomb on fire? We got people in our country whose job is to keep people from lighting their underwear on fire on planes. We've got uh, paramedics and we've got zoning uh, laws and we've got military, we got libraries. I love libraries. We have government. We often paint all who work in the government with a broad brush of derision. Government is not a necessary evil. It's a gift of God, and we should be grateful to those who serve us in it. Right? My son um, works, is his own firm now in Tallahassee, but recently the Speaker of the House, who he works often with in the state of Florida, was giving his farewell address at the end of his two-year term as Speaker of the House, he was thanking a number of people who had aided him, and, um, um, and then he mentioned a name that we were familiar with. Tony Cortese, thank you for joining me after the Corcoran term in what seemed like a new and difficult proposition. People said you were a Joe Cool kind of guy, but the truth is your capacity for friendship, loyalty, and kindness knows no limit. It was a divine appointment <clears throat> that I met you, Tony. We prayed together just in that hallway right there, right before I walked out here for my designation speech, because Tony said, can I pray for you? You've become one of my greatest friends. Shannon and I love you, Ashley, and your boys, and we are so looking forward to doing life with you all. So that's the son of this church. God has people out uh, in government um, serving him as best they're able, and it would be good to be grateful. 
as a people for that. So what should we render unto Caesar? All that I just said. But what should we render unto God? God should get our life, our hope, our love, our trust, our allegiance, and our passion. The highest political office in the universe is held by the King of Kings. He gets our supreme devotion. We are not Americans first and Christians second. We are not Americans equally to being Christians. We are Christians. It is our highest loyalty and passion. Too many American Christians are far more passionate about America and politics than they are Jesus. Don't commit spiritual adultery. Don't make the United States your mistress. Don't forget your first love. Don't freak out about politics and getting, you know, listen, getting the right people in office matters. Everything matters. But it will not fix what's broken in our world. It is not what our broken world needs. Our broken world needs Jesus and to acknowledge his sovereign reign over all. You know, the church in China they don't get uh, flustered. You know, think of Jesus standing before Pilate, before Rome. He's not flustered. The church in, so don't get flustered by the brokenness of our culture and by the crazy of the moment we live in. You belong to the, to the sovereign. You belong to Jesus. The church in China, when China cracked down about five years ago on churches, you know what they instantly did? Church in Beijing, church government says you can't meet anymore. No problem for them. They had already organized. They had everybody in small groups. Instantly, they didn't come to the church building and all meet publicly because uh, the government had shut it down. They, in hundreds and hundreds of small groups, they continued to meet all over the city. And you know what the leaders of that church said? They said, over the last 20 years, our children have grown up in a more permissive culture that allows um, uh, Christianity, but this crackdown is so good. Thank you, God, for this crackdown because we don't want to be like the church in America. We don't want to be soft like the Christians in America. We want our children to be real followers of Jesus. So brothers and sisters, this is our moment. Let's rise to the occasion. Could be our finest hour. Let's not be a people of rage mimicking our culture. Let's be a source of love and beauty in a culture that so desperately needs it. Do you know what our culture needs? The church of Jesus Christ to be the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, would you do it? Would you fill us with love for our neighbors? Would you sort of lift us out of the partisan rancor and cause us to love um, well? Um, people who are angry um, and people who are depressed and people who are empty and people who are lonely and people who are broken because we know all those things and you loved us when we were the least attractive. Well, Lord, would you make us a force for love, beauty and truth in our broken world and all for your glory. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.